welcome to another episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. Once again, my name is Pierce, and once again, I've got Zach and Ben with me this evening. Zach, how are you? I'm good, Pierce. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And Ben, how are you? Doing equally well. You guys are so I'm energetic sure. tonight. I'm, I'm, I assume <laughs> the doldrums of finals and rainy december getting to you but uh i'm I'm excited to talk about the still undefeated basketball teams but before we get to that uh zach wanted to talk about football news by himself so uh take it away zach thank you pierce um so briefly before we talk about uh the basketball team and well both basketball teams and their success over the last week or so i figured that we should at least address some of the news in the UVA football world, uh, most notably that Brennan Armstrong with his bajillionth year of eligibility has announced that he is, well, no, he has not announced, but it, it was reported by ESPN, The Athletic, um, and 24-7 Sports that he will be entering the transfer portal. A um, couple other notable names for UVA, uh, Fentrell Cypress, uh, cornerback, is probably one of the top names uh, officially in the transfer portal. Uh, Virginia has nine guys in the portal, including uh, long snapper Lee Dudley as well, um, among some uh, players who who haven't had many opportunities, including, I think, a wide receiver Sean Wilson, safety Chase uh, Chalmers, um, and a few other names that I'm missing. Uh, it also was reported by Greg Madia of the Daily Progress uh, yesterday, I think, um, that the NCAA is officially granting uh, – the, I think, six UVA football players who ran out of their eligibility this year, an extra year um, of eligibility, which um, I'm pulling that up now. Um, that reportedly includes Billy Kemp, Keaton Thompson, Darius Bratton, Anthony Johnson, Cam Butler, Jack Camper, and Devontae Davis. Um, Anthony Johnson is already uh, declared for the NFL draft along with wide receiver Dontavion Wicks, but that is a number of guys that UVA could be bringing back for additional years next year, which could be uh, especially for guys like Thompson, Butler, um, and Brown to some extent, and well, Kemp too, if he, if he came back, uh, could help this program out um, some. Uh, UVA will also be very active in the transfer portal, looking for a quarterback, most likely to at the very least compete with Jay Wolfolk. Um, they're all, they're also going to have to bolster um, the wide receivers room, the O line. Absolutely. Um, and, and they're losing both their starting corners. So uh, Ben, you have any, uh, any thoughts while Pierce is still on his strike? I think it'll be interesting to see what they do at quarterback. Uh, that's been yeah. something for the first few years. That's never been, been a question at all as of late with Brennan Armstrong playing um, and sort of taking that leadership role the way he has these past few seasons. And uh, as you mentioned, I think it'll be interesting to see if they try and bring in a transfer to compete with Jay Wolfolk or if they're going to just hand him the reins and let him take over. I lean towards them probably at least bringing in some competition, but I also think it'll likely be Wolfolk's job to lose, at least at this point. And if yeah. that's true, I'm interested to see him play. He's an interesting player, um, dual sport athlete, um, and really dual threat on the field. He's been a mixed bag when he's gotten in, uh, as you'd expect from any young player. But I'm excited to see what he or whatever transfer quarterback they bring in can do. 
Yeah, it's going to be curious to see if uh, Wolfolk fits what Elliott wants to do on offense. I mean, we sort of saw Brennan not be able to do that. And I don't know that Jay Wolfolk in sort of the concept of what he is as the best version of himself is the sort of pro-style quarterback that Elliott, Elliott and Kitchings want. Um, it's also just weird to sort of like consider the Brennan Armstrong legacy now. And we'll keep this short because I'm sure people want to talk about or want to hear us talk about basketball. But um, this guy was so beloved coming into this season and I think still is to a, a pretty extreme extent just as a person and as a leader. But uh, it's definitely just a weird ending, m- most likely a weird ending, um, assuming that he does enter the transfer portal and go elsewhere to a very prolific career uh and it's going to be sort of having his name on the record books is going to just it's it's just an interesting sort of situation and, and sort of the time that he's had um both good bad and, and in between ben you have any additional thoughts there other than no i mean it's going to be interesting to see i think brendan armstrong's legacy is going to age well i think the yeah. records he put up and specifically last season uh is going to go down as one of the better seasons by any UVA player ever, but it'll be interesting to see going forward, how sort of this, like these guys end up being evaluated in the future. Yeah. Especially just in year one of the Elliott era. I mean, I guess probably a lot of it comes down to how Elliott works out. And if we sort of see year one as, you know, they weathered the storm, they were able to. Yeah. I mean, all jokes aside about not wanting to talk about football, which, you know, everybody listening probably remembers stems from the on-field performance and, and me being cynical about that. It's um, it's still hard, I think, for any of us to talk about football, football without the context of the violence on grounds and, and that loss and trying to put myself in that frame of reference of, of just talking about the X's and O's and the depth chart and, 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 you know, football for the sake of the sport and their lack of success this year. It's to me almost like when I think of Brennan Armstrong finishing uh, his story at UVA, I think of that terrible play call to throw to an offensive tackle against Virginia Tech. Yeah, like I, it's yeah. almost like glossed over this year because it didn't get to end. It obviously ended for reasons that had nothing to do with football performance or anything, and he had such a lost campaign because of whatever lack of successful transition to this new uh coaching staff or coaching strategy or play calling whatever you know culmination of those things it's i i I think of um i think we're all gonna think of just a prolific passer with a season that was almost uh unbelievable success you know except for that back-breaking uh last play loss uh yeah before and it's not that we're gonna forget this season but it's like the story about this season armstrong's not a big part of that story for right worse in my mind yeah and i think it what i'll remember about brennan and i didn't cover the team with a i wasn't credentialed last year so i wasn't actually like in the pressers and stuff i was just covering it from my dorm room but what i'll remember at this year just like how composed he was after every game despite losing despite not playing well yeah and sort of like how he took blame and like you see guys at the nfl level not be able to say like i let the team down and yet he would walk in 
like they would roll him out there for just about every, after every single home game um, and just sort of like the poise and the maturity and I, some of that comes from just being a veteran guy. But I, I, I just I'm really impressed with him as a person um, and I'm sure that, that all UVA fans will be rooting for him uh, wherever he goes. Sure. Uh, yeah, right, with uh, that, that's I guess. well said. Yeah, and, and that's a good point yeah. too about um, even pre-tragedy what what he was de- dealing with as a you know just a football player, yeah. and his senior senior leader, and uh, you know things not going in the way that really anybody expected, and he handled it well for sure. Yeah, yeah. at least publicly yeah. out there, and, and you know, like you said, put in front of the cameras and the microphones. Uh, but yeah, uh, basketball. Last we spoke. Both teams were undefeated, and they're still both undefeated. We did not jinx the women's team against Penn State. They pretty handedly won that game uh, on the road. Um, And uh, most recently have won at William & Mary, while the men uh, struggled would be too hard of a phrase for the FSU game. I think it's sort of what we expected against the FSU team that you know, has talent despite not having much success in the whim column. And they've been dealing with, you know, a ton of injuries and everything. I mean, uh, I feel like FSU gave them the game that that, that we anticipated and, and Virginia handled it. Struggled against JMU, um, at least on the offensive side of the ball, is pretty easy uh, to say overall. Um, I think going into the game against Madison, I expected um, – you know, the Dukes were in for a rude awakening, uh, having averaged over, what, like 92 points a game and then having to play UVA. And sure enough, it was a rude awakening for the Dukes uh, offensively. But uh, what we didn't maybe expect was that Virginia would be so cold from uh, the three-point line and the free-throw line and and just really sort of struggle uh, to get – you know, the rhythm that I think we had seen so successfully, uh, them been so successful in, in getting into rhythm offensively against, you know, some really, really excellent teams at neutral sites, you know, already this year. So to be in the, the, the friendly confines of the John Paul Jones arena and, uh, look, you know, get back into that stagnant sort of pass it around, not really know where to go and, and then force up a, a difficult shot was surprising to me. So, um, you know, I don't want to gloss over the FSU game at all, too. But to me, the the, the JMU offense is the the biggest talking point. So Ben, what what stuck out to you about um their struggles? Still a win. Don't get me wrong. Still a win. Yeah, and a win is a win at the end of the day. And it's a game that very easily could have caromed more towards the like fifteen point victory side if Virginia didn't have just an abysmal night from the three point line and the free throw line. You know, shooting 24% from three is something that we've seen from this Virginia team. I did not expect them to go 50% from the line, especially when most of those free throws are coming from guys like Kia Clark and Jaden Gardner, who have traditionally been much higher percentage free throw shooters than that. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I don't think the game should have been as close as it was. I think they could have closed out the Dukes at some points. Uh, The way they played defensively, was very good in that game, held JMU to 7 of 19 shooting at the rim, and then just uh, made two mid-range jumpers all game. They couldn't get anything going. And I think overall the JMU performance wasn't awful. 
I would have looked better if sure. they hit some threes and for some free throws for sure. But it definitely felt a lot more like last year, Virginia, in terms of offensive game. And a lot of that really comes down to the Reese Beekman injury, which kind of just hangs over this team when he's not in there. You feel his absence and absolutely everything just gets gummed up, slowed down, and they don't have that sort of engine driving the offense. First to get out and transition and run the way that Reese has so successfully this year when he decides to selectively get out and transition. He actually finished a nice layup early in the game, which is when he suffered the injury where it was just kind of a grab and go. Mm. But everything just looks uglier without Reese Beekman on the court for this team. And I wonder how much of the offensive struggles are guys coming back down to earth from last year versus how much of it is just Reese went out in the game. It was kind of a chaotic game plan and they just had to adapt on the fly. So I'm hesitant to draw major conclusions about oh this team's bad offensively because they didn't have their best offensive player Mm -hmm. but it's certainly concerning going forward and you would have liked to see them put up quite a few more points against jamio well especially if recess miss any time you know further like obviously they'll have 11 days before the houston game to plan for it but still i mean the the limitations or the impact that 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 would have is is pretty evident um zach what do you think yeah i mean not having Reese means that this is Kihei's offense and not just like, Oh, he's the point guard. It's like, no Kihei, you have to do everything in initiating this offense. And that's what you saw against JMU in particular and against FSU to a lesser extent. I think it was obvious um, against Florida state and and Bennett mentioned it, that Reese was uh, limited in that game and what he could do, Mm. um, especially on offense. And so you just see, I mean, it's what you said with the offense, Bears. It's pass the ball around, no one does anything, and then, okay, Kihei with the ball screen, go do something, create a shot. And when guys are missing threes, so there's not spacing, especially on with, you know, sort of the guards missing shots, all of a sudden we're just looking at a 2019-2020 offense, just carbon mm-hmm. copy, but without the Jay Huff sort of like, he can hit threes and be an insane lob threat. Um, element of it or even without like Diakite being able to go get a bucket in the post obviously you have Gardner and whatnot but um, that's what the JMU game felt like to me it, it felt like a, a that sort of year that entire season where it's just like it's going to be really hard to get a bucket offensively but they're going to just have to make a couple more shots and then count on not letting the other team score um, Ryan Dunn is like has to be the outstanding positive from sure. the JMU game in particular um, and I think that in the long run, that will outweigh sort of, I mean, un- unless Reese goes down for um, like the season, uh, the done positive will outweigh the sort of, oh gosh, what is this offense without Reese question slash negative? Um, I think with, you know, we, we talk a lot about how UVA wants to have, Tony Bennett wants to have two point guards as offense, it's not even that. It's just that with the mover blocker offense, where it's sort of like an egalitarian offense for the guards, where everyone gets the opportunities to to make plays. Mm-hmm. You need guys who can get downhill and attack and aren't just shooters. And then you see, like, okay, so Armand Franklin can sometimes get a step on the guy and then rise up and hit a jumper or um, jump stop and and pull out. Like sometimes he can do that. Isaac McNeely likes the pump fake and drive the baseline, which just doesn't generate much right now. Cause he's not 
um, bigger and faster than everyone. And, and Jam, you started to jump it when he would make that turn and, and pivot. Um, not to criticize him like he's in game eight or whatever of his career. He's got plenty of time. But just that goes to say, like, without Reese, there isn't a lot of creation on offense beyond Kihei. And yeah. so Kihei, very good player. But we also know that he's limited. Like, he's not Ty Jerome necessarily. Like, there are limits to the offense that he can create. And so, I mean, it, it's it's a story that we've been telling since, like, the Miami game in 2019 when Ty Jerome couldn't play. Like, it's it's the same <laughs> offense, you know, just, like, yeah. without a DeAndre Hunter or whatnot. I think so, the difference oh, – sorry, continue. No, no, I'm just going to say it's it's, like, this makes sense that this happened, and it's just a matter of can we get Reese healthy. <laughs> I think the one reason for optimism, although it didn't execute against JMU, is you saw them acknowledge everything you're talking about, um, but go to Gardner yeah. and, and Vanderplas uh, in particular, who was so successful running offense through Ben against FSU, and then it just wasn't converting, you know, the ball just didn't go in, right? Like uh, against JMU when he had those moments. And and so maybe it wasn't like a uh, an open door to, to to score seven straight points or whatever for him, like, like it was uh, against FSU. But he's not going to miss those shots every game, point being. Like, I think there is an option there. I think the yeah. lack of option that Franklin has, has in these situations is, is – it's just a little disappointing. Like you would hope that he'd be able to uh, fill in, in some of that creation. It's just not, um, we just haven't really seen it. Uh, we've seen games where he's hot, but again, that's uh, he's not, he's not creating the offense as much as he is being that like extra pass receiver uh, or a spot up shooter, which, you know, hopefully he, he fits back in with, with making more of his threes that we've seen. I mean, he's made some shots. Like he was four for, for nine sure, from for three sure. in these two games. It's just like if he's not going crazy, then it's like, okay, what is he like? He's not giving you tons of offense that you. He's not giving you reliable offense. A lot of his drives like tend to... to be taking advantage yeah. of someone breaking past their guy and kicking out exactly. to him, and then that defender panics because he's going to hit three, and then he's got a great drive. Yeah. And but he it, had yeah, some he's... of that against JMU to to he some extent, some but yeah, it's not it's not consistent enough to sort of like say, okay, Reese is out, let's run through this. This is just sort of like something else to rely on, which yeah. like. And I'll let Ben go because I'm sure he has thoughts. But like the offense is multifaceted, but a lot of the reason that the offense is multifaceted is because you have Reese Beekman. And Reese Beekman is a very versatile offensive player who can do a lot of different things and make a lot of different things happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's not unreasonable that this is what a, a top 10 team looks like without their best player. Like sure. and I, I don't want to say that. Like sort of the like, oh my gosh, this is this team isn't actually that good after three close wins. No, bad games happen. Like when UVA played, uh, I brought it up a minute ago, Miami back in 2019, the one game that Ty Jerome missed, um, they only beat a bad, it finished 75th on Ken Palm. They only beat Miami 56-46 at home. And that team went, to, went on to win the national championship. Right. So like this is what happens when a, a very important player and a point guard in the Bennett system doesn't play. And it's in the middle of the game that that happens. So the beginning yeah. of the game that that mm -hmm. happens and they haven't been able to pre prepare for it. Yeah. And I think 
Reese is just losing Reese is just so painful because you have guys on this offense as you guys were alluding to earlier in Armand Franklin who are finishers who someone creates an advantage for them and Armand's really good at catching when a guy's laid on a closeout deciding mm-hmm. oh I'm going to shoot this or oh I'm going to pump and drive this guy he's out of position the defense is out of position I'm going to capitalize by scoring and you have a lot of guys like that on the team I mean Caden Shedrick's one of the best finishers in college basketball, not just in terms of finishing plays, but in terms of finishing at the rim, where I believe he's above 90% on the season, which is just an outrageous number. But (laughs) the issue is that you need guys to set up plays for players like that. They aren't going to go get a bucket. Caden Shedrick hasn't shown that you can tell him to go get a bucket. Mm Armand Franklin hasn't shown that. And the two guys that do that at a high level on this team are Kihei and Reese. You can also get it from Ben Vanderplas and Jaden Gardner, but that's just a sort of different style of play and not really what Virginia wants to be doing. Under Mover Blocker, they want to be running through their guards. And when yeah. Reese Beekman's out of the game, it's entirely Kihei really being asked to go set guys up. And that's where you get that stagnation, that pass out to the corner where Isaac McNeely or Armand Franklin or Ryan Dunn takes two dribbles towards the basket, jump stops, pivots, kicks it back out to the top of the key, and you end up with some ugly shot at the end of the shot clock. It's because you don't have that advantage creation. You don't have the setup guy who's creating the finishes for other players. And it would be one thing if Virginia lost one of their finishers. Uh, You can put guys in off the bench, hope they hit shots. That's a more replaceable skill than being able to generate those open looks. And it really is just Kihei who's able to do that without Reese Beekman in the game. So this team is going to have a rough go of it, especially against Houston, if they can't get Reese Beekman back and healthy. Sure. I do think, and we've already said this, I think, pretty uh, succinctly, but if they just hit a few open threes, and a few free throws like this sort of goes like a, it's a different oh, it was conversation. A home win you know like it was yeah. like eh, they didn't play super great and obviously you you lose Reese and they're sort of like oh what are we going to do spur of the moment but all it took was literally a couple threes and a you know a couple more free throws and it, it's it's a 12 point uh type of lead throughout most of that uncomfortable time when it was a you know four point lead uh which which made it more stressful. <laughs> Kihei also deserves a lot of credit. I mean, mm-hmm. he scored 18 points in back-to-back games, seven assists against uh, JMU, three against FSU. He had six total turnovers in the two games. Um, and, I mean, that guy played 39 minutes against JMU, 35 against FSU. He got, like, a minute and four seconds off uh, when they, like, they took him out before the 12-minute break in the first half mm-hmm. uh, on, on Tuesday. And so, I mean, he's – doing like if he wasn't on this team yeah they might have a grad grad transfer point guard um but i don't think if he's they don't win these games if he's not on this team oh totally and so that's why him coming and listen i doubted him coming back i was kind of like i kind of want to see mcneely or don or bond in that spot um but he's been huge and Mm -hmm. he's been very good when he's been asked to be um he's still picking up full court at times and and playing, you know, 94 feet of basketball. And and so that's a, just another sort of lesson that, that we're sort of seeing is like, okay, like at least they didn't lose these games by eight. 
because that's yeah. realistic. Like with what we've seen of UVA basketball in the last couple of seasons, that that was a possible reality um, that they took a, a quad three or quad four loss or two um, in these last two games with with Reese limited and then out. And so there's at least that to take away. And exactly as you said, Pierce, right? We're just a couple of made shots away from having a completely different discussion. We uh we put out you know some feelers out there for quotes uh from the key haters in the community. Um, we asked if you directly, um, with all this success. Now this was before the JMU game. I think all these quotes were were gathered, but you know still win a win, and it wasn't like you, you could put a point at shooting only or making only half your free throws at Kihei, but I don't think anyone was walking away from the JMU game going like, oh, it was so close because Kihei wasn't. He was so exhausted. Like, (laughs) there's only so much you can ask of a guy. A lot went wrong for uh, pretty much everyone not named Ryan Dunn on on the Virginia team. But, uh, you know, I think what the key haters responded with was nothing but overall positivity. (laughs) Like, this, this is... This is best case scenario for Kihei's role in this team. Like we were saying last week, or you were saying, Zach, last week, you know, his it, it's a different ask for Kihei in this roster, and it's worked. So, you know, we could have brought in, uh, in, in, in worst case scenarios, you know, we th- those still could have been, we ask Kihei to play the role he's playing and it doesn't work. And then that's when it turns into, it has to be the Kihei show point A, B, C, D through the offense. And that's what we see. Obviously they run into to trouble. Um, that all being said, you know, when you get into ACC play, I feel like, these are teams and coaches that um, are a little more familiar with them a little more from, I think we're still going to see some ups and downs and this, again, this, this, I'm not saying this success, you know, is, is made or break broken by Kihei, but he's going to play all these minutes and he plays a really important role for your team. And I think it's, it's worked really well. I think it's going to be an additional ask to do that against the uh, conference opponents. Um, But you know, he's, he's answered all the doubters for sure already this season so far. So I would imagine that will continue. A lot of that might depend of course on Beekman's health and, you know, Dunn's continue uh, acceleration in, in, in his role and uh, can McNeely hit shots and McNeely's getting that. That's another, op, uh, another talking point I want to bring up. McNeely's getting a lot of playing time and that's only going to continue if Reese has to sit out some, um, obviously that means tony trusts him defensively but he's clearly there to hit uh open looks and uh his his shot looks so good it just hasn't gone into the clip that we would want to see it go in yet ben uh what do you think i I, it's easy to see that turning around for him any game now i am always amazed when he comes in and will routinely miss the first shot he takes in the game because at least at the JMU game, I was watching him during warmups, just shooting from the right side, the right wing, right corner. And I was watching for like five, 10 minutes. And I'm not saying I'm sitting there taking notes on the guy, but I'm glancing up and I just do not see him miss at all. (laughs) His shot is just unbelievably pure. And then he gets in the game and first look is drawing back iron. I, I, it looks so good that it's hard to imagine that his shot isn't going to go in at right. some point. I think what's concerning 
if anything is concerning for a guy eight games into his career, I mean, it's still an overall positive that McNeely is able to contribute rotation minutes at all at this point and that Tony Bennett clearly trusts him to do so. Uh, I think you would have liked to see a little bit more of the stuff besides the jump shot coming along. You'd want to see more stuff like that play against JMU where he drove to the basket and had a nice drop-off pass for a Jaden Gardner layup. More decisively mm-hmm. attacking closeouts instead of sort of the two-dribble jump-stop spin that we get a little too often. And just, it would be nice to see him be a little more comfortable handling the ball uh, in general and suggesting that he could play that sort of lead guard role. Because I don't think right now he's a guy you want bringing the ball up every single possession. They had a minute where he was the lead guard in, and then at the under-12 timeout, they just put Kihei back in and were like, you're going to run the show for the rest of the game. We don't care if you're gassed by the end of it. <laughs> but, the I mean, the shooting struggles you can live with because you just watch the guy play, and it's going to come. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I think is important is that his confidence stays up. I imagine it's hard coming in and, like, just missing a few shots because you know you're a good shooter but you don't think people know you're a good shooter. And I imagine it can get in your head a little bit. There was a play where he passed up an open three-pointer, took a dribble in uh, about one step and took a sort of off-balance mid-range jump shot that he missed where he had space to take the three-pointer, but it looked like he was just a little bit hesitant. And this is something that started all the way back in those games against Baylor and Illinois in Las Vegas, where we noticed, hey, Isaac just hasn't had quite the quick trigger that we were expecting coming in. And it's developed into a little bit of a theme over the last two games. Uh, You would love to see that turn around. It's got to be hard having like your best skill be something that just kind of betrays you so far this year. But I still think there's going to be a point this season where Isaac McNeely turns it around and puts together a stretch of like three for five from three off the bench, Mm. four for seven from three off the bench. And he's going to be a key player, especially if Reese Bigskin, God forbid, misses any extended time, because he's simply going to have to contribute. Well, I have a, a number of questions for you guys both still, and, and rather than continuing this, a bunch of them are around the rules for guys on the scene, but I don't want to lose track of something um, that I thought was a big difference between the JMU and the FSU uh, games and might speak to um, the offensive strategy is I felt JMU was really packing it in defensively and Virginia, because they were cold, you know, didn't have that confidence. Like you noted, Ben, like passed up open looks because they were cold and that sort of played into JMU's hands defensively. Like I, 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 there's nothing wrong, of course, with trying to get it to Gardner Vanderplas and, and play some inside out ball, but uh, it wasn't working and they were passing up open looks um, because they were missing some of those open looks. I mean, did you guys feel that, that I don't know, JMU was giving them uh, those open looks uh, despite uh, Virginia potentially turning them back, you know, reverting back to being a good shooting team? I think, you know, the, the two defenses that they played in these two, FSU is traditionally very has a lot of length wants to switch um and make you win one-on-one and so that's i mean they they played against that a little bit in in illinois and baylor jmu they don't run the pack line but they run some similar things like they're doing the hard hedge on ball screens which 
worked well when it was only Kihei mm-hmm. who could run a ball screen because it sort of like means, okay, you either have the five, nine point guard trying to get a pass to the roller or we're going to recover elsewhere and allow. Okay. So like we might have to help on the backside, which means Armand Franklin might have a slightly open three in the back corner if, if Kihei can get the ball to him there. So I think there was probably some of that. Um, I haven't done like a deep study on that mm-hmm. game quite yet, but like that, that was definitely part of it. And we saw against Michigan, you go four for eight from outside, only take eight threes in the entire game, right. even when they were making a decent number of them. And I think that that's some, that again, goes back to Reese. It's like the, the offense can do things without hitting threes when Reese is on the floor, but when he's not, it's sort of like, okay, well, Armon is a shooter. Isaac is a shooter. Ben Vanderplas, okay, yeah, he can create. He can do some stuff in the post. But if he's on the perimeter, which he typically is, he's a shooter. Um, and so because you have guys like that, like Ryan Dunn, okay, well, he's going to dunk in transition. He's going to drive the baseline twice, you know, once or twice a game uh, for, for a big play. But sort of the shooting is, is the identity of those guys right now. Um, and so – without Reese, without that other creator to get downhill and make things happen, you're going to settle for more threes. And that's going to be sort of like what your offense is, especially when you're doing a lot of high ball screen stuff with Reese, because mm-hmm. you're not running mover blocker. Cause as Ben detailed, you don't have someone on the wing who's going to come off a pin down and make, make something happen. So you've got to mm-hmm. just do high ball screen, high ball screen, high ball screen, which is that 2019, 2020 offense, which still took a lot of threes despite not being able to make them. So yeah, it, yes, yeah. like it, it, this is what it is. And some of it's JMU and some of it is just what UVA had to run in this game. Okay, makes sense. So, I mean, you already hit on Dunn earlier, but could you talk a little more about what it is that we've seen Dunn bring to the same on either side of the ball? But then also, let's say Reese against Houston is back to 100%. How is Dunn going to fit into this rotation when we're not missing a starter? Um, yeah, so Dunn, I think it's it's obvious just the athleticism, like a 6'8 wing who can slide his feet defensively and keep up with a guard. We've said it before in the podcast, they haven't had that really since Dre. You can make the argument for Trey Murphy, but not to this extent or, or sort of like the extent of the potential that Dunn has even for this season. Um, and so you saw him, especially late in the game, just be able to run around uh, an off ball, like pin down and on an inbounds play, catch up, set his feet, contest, drop step, drop step, contest again, recover. And he just, he has the length, he has the quickness and he has really great footwork already and, and some of that is just like being a naturally good defender. Some of that, a lot of that is effort. And a lot of that is um, committing to it, which if any team is going to commit to defensive footwork, it's, it's UVA. Um, and so you're just sort of seeing this clash of um, good footwork, sort of like good uh, technique with extreme athleticism. Armand Franklin has good defensive technique. He doesn't have extreme athleticism. Ryan Dunn does. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of see like, okay, if Armand Franklin, say back to, to your Reese point, if Reese comes back and you have that typical starting line at that typical six man core, how does Dunn fit into that with this sort of growth defensively? It's okay. So if Armand Franklin, if his game is going to be going two for five from three every game, that's fine. That's good. That gives you spacing that allows you to do things offensively. But if Ryan Dunn is that much of a plus on D and can play some on the wing, like it seems like Bennett is comfortable with him playing on the perimeter 
and and handling Definitely. the ball some, which frankly he wasn't confident in DeAndre Hunter doing that in his first year and put him at the four. Some of that was because they had Ty, um, Kyle, and Devin Hall, but who, who mm. were all you know very good UVA guards. Um, but I, I think where he fits in is sort of that three spot alongside Kihei and Reese, who are two creators. If he can hit an open three here and there, um, then he's solid on offense and a plus on defense, especially against the teams that are going to have the Jet Howards of the world um, who are just trying to make shots over you. Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be plays where he gets beat. He got beat against JMU late in the game and then came back for a baseline drive and then had a late stop. So there's going to be those freshman moments, those first year moments for him, but like the sort of just like juiciness of Ryan Dunn as an elite wing defender (laughs) is really, really exciting because that takes along with Reese Beekman and Caden Chedrick being two guys who can go after the ball and make plays on defense. If you have a guy like that on the wing, Dunn had three blocks against JMU all of a sudden, and then your other two defenders are Jaden Gardner and Kihei Clark or Ben Vanderplast and Kihei Clark. There's no weakness there. Gardner's a very good perimeter and inside defender now. He's got good hands. He had two or three steals against JMU. That can take this defense to that elite level, that top 10 defensive efficiency that we were talking about and sort of debating about uh, at the beginning or before the season. And so like that's where he can make things start to really work on defense. And then if Armand doesn't have his five for seven game, Dunn fits into that wing role. Could it be a small ball four? Yeah, against the right opponent, definitely. Like he could fit into that role. It's just that they have depth there and they have the sort of Vanderplas Gardner Shedrick dynamic there that, that can work well. So I think he fits into about that three spot. Well, I hesitate to pass it to you, Ben. I don't know that you can. I, I, Sorry. We we found a an excitable subject, which is excellent. <laughs> no, th- this is just what I had to excite myself about from this game. Because I was like, the offense sucked to watch. Like, this was not fun. But Ryan, um, what I think is hilarious is fun. that, like, all of that is so true about Ryan Dunn. And those are the reasons he's going to get in is the defensive versatility is the fact that he already looks like he's probably going to be the best wing defender this game's had since DeAndre Hunter. But you can make the case for him getting minutes based on that game. And you didn't even mention the play that was number one in the sports center top 10, where he just absolutely eviscerated a guy in transition on the fast break. And the fact and flexed that on it and turns around and, and looks down him. and flexes. I, there was a lot of chatter between um whoever jamie's best player was a guy who looks like he's 45 um <laughs> great player the turnover, to yeah. be insulting but he does after the turnover right yeah so he beats him and then like you said zach a few plays later dunn forces a turnover in a even more critical situation for madison and uh they you know they got caught on the big screen chirp and chirp and chirp but then they both started laughing and gave it like a little dap like you know i was like oh okay so vibes were good and whatever that conversation was um but it was it was definitely notable uh that duality between those two plays yeah ryan dunn's good man he's gonna be <laughs> he's gonna be so good and here's the thing ben and i have been talking about this in like just the slack dms no, we're we like even talked ryan about dunn, here you were like you like, guys ryan you dunn, guys <laughs> we haven't guy. seen him yet <laughs> come on <laughs> and it's here's the thing he was what yeah he was he was the lowest ranked guy of this group 
And I just want to, of the 2022 class. And I just want to say that if we're doing the DeAndre Hunter comparison, DeAndre Hunter was the lowest ranked guy in the 2016 class as well. So the parallels Whoa. are booming here. Time is a flat circle. So you say, oh God, we're going to lose to a 16 seed again. And then win the national championship. <laughs> oh, man, I don't want to go through that. Right. Well, DeAndre redshirted. Ryan Dunn is already better than DeAndre Oh, okay. Was. All right. So, All right. So something he's going to be a top two pick. Kihei will still be here, though, for both the future well, yeah, upset got, and the next. You got the football redshirt. <laughs> he's going to, they're, they're just going to say, you know what? <laughs> you just get to play for UVA forever. Special Kihei law. Um, one other rotation thing I wanted to bring up was the lack of Shedrick down the stretch. Uh, I know it was noticeable to a lot of people. Anything to take away other than I know Coach Bennett would say, well, it's all about matchups. Uh, and we liked what we saw with the matchup uh, towards the end. But I don't know, did you walk away being like, I wonder why? Or it, it makes sense to you? I was a little confused by the fact that he didn't come back in because he went out for the first time or for the last time, like really early in the second half. I almost wondered if it was something injury related because it was he after did, he, he got, got hit in the face. face again. Oh yeah. We, yeah. yeah. Again, <laughs> which it, unbelievable. I don't know. <laughs> I, the man is cursed, but I was almost wondering if it was more injury related than, related to his play on the court although that being said it was a bit of a disappointing Shedrick game I against a team that's as undersized as JMU you just expect to see more than two shots from two-point range in 25 minutes of play not getting to the free throw line at all not getting any offensive rebounds and I finishing with just two points in 25 minutes against that team against a team that's going to play that small and sort of bet hey, you can beat us on the inside, but we'll beat you on the perimeter. You have to beat them on the inside. And that's something that falls to Caden Shedrick. And I think a lot of the rebounding issues as well come down to sort of the block happiness of the way Shedrick plays defense. Yeah. I mean, he's going to see him four a couple blocks. times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like four blocks is good, but for every point you save with a block, there's also the points when you jump out a shot attempt, your dude gets an uncontested offensive rebound and really easy yeah. put back. And it definitely wasn't the best game Shedrick's played this year, uh, very up and down. And you sort of expected more against an opponent that he seemed to match up very well against. We didn't even see Kafaro, right? Was there something that ad, that just match up? I, I not yeah. to be Bennett, but like I think, and I, <laughs> I think he was asked about that by someone or, or something. But but um, that's just like if Caden struggles because JMU goes small, Poppy's gonna struggle more than that. So. Yeah why Caden played 18 first half minutes and then only played seven in the second half. And I'm pretty sure he played seven, went out and it didn't come back in. Um, I just mean, I think you'd like to see the better team dictate the conversation. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. It's just sort of like when, I mean, Ben, Ben said it very well, but like when you're going to go small like that, then Caden can't unfortunately be as block happy because they're just trying to spread Genu had 13 offensive rebounds, only yeah. seven second chance points though. So if we're talking about like, Oh, a couple more shots need to fall. That was lucky for UVA in this game that JMU didn't convert. Ooh, um, JMU missed more. their fair share of wide oh, open yeah. threes too. It wasn't all lockdown Virginia defense. I mean, they had some plays where they made the fourth, fifth pass to a wide open guy 
brick. So yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and so, and I also think that this is just the rise of Ben Vanderplas and Gardner yeah. working together. Well, there were a couple, there were shifts where Dunn played a small ball for, um, but you know, Vanderplas also provides you a little bit. It's clear that Bennett trusts him. I mean, when they've been having him inbound the ball on baseline out of bounds, like from mm-hmm. their own basket um, and did in this game, because the, typically they want either Reese or Kihei doing it. I think against Michigan, they had him do it because they wanted to be able to get the ball to Reese or Kihei. In right. this game, they were like, well, if we inbound, if we have Kihei inbound it, we can't have Kihei catch it. So <laughs> we need someone to. And so it's interesting that they trust Ben like that. Um, and I think in a game where small ball is sort of like that, you're like, okay, we need some creation. Vanderplas will do more creation than Caden Shedrick will. And he was completely fine, if not good on defense. And with Caden being with blocking, trying to block too many shots, um, then I think it, it, it became sort of an easy decision from there. Not to say that Caden won't have his moments. Like he'll probably sure. start averaging 29 minutes a game. It just wasn't this, this game wasn't it. Well, it's another big benefit of uh, home games is you don't have to listen to announcers tell the Vanderplas Bennett's named after Bennett story uh, again. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the Mike London uh, cop story. This <laughs> uh, this <laughs> for sure. All right, so I feel like we've run through the entire Tubbs chart, which <laughs> means we've been thorough and taken up enough time. Uh, so, listeners. Thank you for listening. If you're students, good luck uh, on finals. You too. You got, you know, you're you're in the thick of it or, or finishing up finals. So good luck there. And um, stay tuned to the blog as we, I guess, keep talking about being undefeated because they're not going to have a chance to lose a game uh, for a while now because the next game is a bit away against Houston. Plenty of time for Reese to heal up, hopefully. Uh, and if we get any news about that, of course, it'll be on streakingalon.com. So until then, for everybody at the blog, I'm Pierce. Go Hoos. 